Lord, we, we thank you that indeed that you are here in our midst, that your holiness does surround us. You're such a great and an awesome God. We love you so very much. We pray right now as we go to your word that you would be our teacher, that you would use this unworthy vessel for your glory. Minister to every single heart that's here. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, yes. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Santa Cruz. If you have your Bibles, turn to Numbers we're going to look at the last few verses of, last seven verses of 33. We left off last time and look at chapter 34 tonight as well, Lord willing. Um, as you're turning your Bibles to Numbers, I uh, wanted to share something with you. You know, a lot of times we get calls at the office and I, I get blessed and I don't ever share them with you guys, but I wanted to encourage you that I got a call from a couple that went to our church for three or four months and then they moved away and he called me today just to tell me, I just want, he said, I just want you to know, Pastor Dave, I never really went to church my entire life. And he said, you know, somebody invited me and I came there one time and the people just loved me so much that it made me know that there was something real about your God. And then I heard the word of God taught and eventually they, him and his wife both got baptized, gave their lives to the Lord. So God bless you guys for using that gift of ministering to people and loving them. And that's what God's called us to do. Amen. They shall know us by the love we have one for another. And as the church continues to grow, it's important that all of us realize we're in the ministry and look for those new people and make them feel welcome and let them know how much the Lord loves them because we don't know what people are going through when they show up here. Amen? And, and our God is a great God and we're all called to the ministry, not just a few of us, we're all called. Well, tonight we're going to look in Numbers at some more of the, of the preparation and then eventually really His instructions for entering into the land of promise. And what we've seen so far is that Numbers is a book that a lot of times gets a bad rap because it's called Numbers. And people think, oh, it's just got a bunch of numbering throughout the entire text. And the reality is that there's only two places in the entire book of Numbers where he numbers the people. At the very beginning of their wilderness journey, and then after that first generation passes away, he numbers them yet again before they go into the land of promise. But it is interesting to me that I really believe that the book of Numbers is all about making our lives count for God and being accountable for our actions. And we see in the book of Numbers that they have been delivered out of bondage in Egypt, and they're encamped in the cross, and they're headed to the land of promise. And we saw that along the way, God had a great and awesome calling for them, and blessings for them, after 400 years in bondage. And as they were headed along the way, we know that their disobedience turned an 11-day march, 11-day journey into a 40-year death march. Because they disobeyed God, they missed out on God's highest. And over the last few weeks, what we've been talking about is just how we can miss out on God's highest in our own lives. How God has a desire and a plan for us. And what we've seen is that type or that picture of their journey, how it's a picture of Christianity today in our own lives. Because Egypt is a type or a picture of what? The world. And they were in bondage in Egypt just as you and I were in bondage to sin. And we see that that time in Egypt, they were crying out, and finally it says that God heard their voice and He delivered them out of their bondage, just as if you've been born again, you've been delivered out of your bondage to sin. You've been born again, you're a new creation in Christ. We saw how their deliverance came the same way our deliverance came. It came through the last of the ten plagues, which was what? Which, what was the last plague? Passover. And remember what happened, that they had to take the blood of a firstborn spotless lamb, they had to apply the blood to the doorpost in the shape of a cross. And if they had the blood of the lamb, they couldn't just have the lamb, they couldn't just know about the lamb, and they couldn't even just slaughter the lamb, but they had to apply the blood of the lamb. Just like we can't just know about Jesus, we can't just know who He is, we must apply the blood of the lamb to our own lives for us to be saved. And that blood was applied, the angel of death would pass over and they were delivered out of bondage. And then once delivered out of bondage, we saw that they were backed up against the Red Sea. And remember that story that they, the, the Egyptian army was coming against them and it was a time for God to test them. And it's, you know what, it's only when we go through tests that we can have a testimony. And it was through that great test, their backs are against the Red Sea, they're, what are we going to do, we're in huge trouble, we're done, you brought us out of Egypt just to be slaughtered out here. And then we know that God opened up the Red Sea and they passed through. The passing through the Red Sea is a type or a picture of water baptism because we see them delivered out of bondage, the cross of Christ, and now they're stepping in. When God opened up the water, they stepped in in obedience and in faith and literally made, a, in a sense, a public confession to say, Lord, I trust that you're going to keep the waters open for me and deliver me to the other side. 
Then when they get to the other side, they begin to wander through the wilderness, and that's a picture of our life after salvation and prior to entering into God's highest. And some of you, again, I know you theologically you may struggle with this, but I want to make it as simple as I can, that I truly believe, and I believe Scripture clearly teaches us, in the book of Luke, when the people were saved, it says that the Lord breathed into them the Holy Spirit. It's in Luke. Then later in Acts, he says to go and wait, for the Holy Spirit shall come upon you not many days from now. He breathed the Holy Spirit in them, and then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And I believe that's a picture of what happens when they cross over the Jordan River. Because the Red Sea is a picture of water baptism. They're heading through their trials. And now they're going to enter into God's highest, the promised land. And before they could enter in, they had to go through the Jordan. And I believe that's a picture of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about, again, the difference between the Holy Spirit being with you, in you, and upon you. Now, along the way before they got there, we know that there was constant disobedience. We know at Mount Sinai they made golden calves. We know that they fell into idol worship. We know that when the the Moabites sent women in, they fell into adulterous relationships with them. And uh, that entire generation passed away. But that next generation was brought back to the very same spot at Kadesh Barnea. And as they sat there, unlike unlike the generation that went before them when they came, they sent spies into the land. And what did they say? There's giants in the land. And they listened to the ten instead of the two. Caleb and Joshua said, we can take them. God is for us. Who can be against us? Let's go get them. And the other ten said, oh man, there's giants in the land. And so because they didn't trust God, they missed out on God's highest. And that's really my message for us again tonight is that we can have saved souls and in a sense wasted lives. God wants to do great and awesome things in and through us. And too many Christians often are sitting on the sideline and just, well, I got my, again, my get-out-of-hell-free card, and I'm, it's all good, and I'm comfortable here. When we get to number 32, we saw the exact evidence of that, because now they have God's plan, God's promise to enter into Canaan, and they're supposed to cross over the Jordan River, and two of the tribes, Gad and Reuben, say, you know what, do we have to go? Sounds like my kids. Do I have to go? Do we have to cross over? You know what? We've defeated all the enemies, Lord. You've given us victory. And this land's already paid for out here. Can't we just stay outside of the Jordan? Because, you know what? We go in there, there's more enemies to fight, and we just don't want to do it. And you know what? This land's paid for. It's free. It's cheaper to live out here. Let's just stay outside of God's highest. And God allowed them to do it, because God will never force anything on us. And they raised cattle. And Gad and Reuben and half the tribe of Manasseh. And we know later that those cattle, in a sense, turned to pigs. Because when you get to Mark chapter 5 and you go to the Gadarenes, what, what are they herding? Pigs. And the pigs are filled with, get filled with demons and run off a cliff. And so it didn't work out too well waiting outside of God's highest where it's comfortable. And the same can happen to us. We can be outside of God's highest, sitting where it's comfortable, instead of pressing into the kingdom of God. And then last week, or two weeks ago when I was here... Uh, before I went on vacation, in chapter 33, we saw the omniscience of God that He is all-knowing. And I love the encouragement of that because it's one of those chapters when you read it, you would think, why would anybody even care what this... Let's just move on to the next chapter because it's a bunch of names and, and it was awesome when we really dug deep. I encourage you to get the tape, how much stuff was really in that chapter. But what I want to leave you with is this, that God goes back and reminds them of every place they had been along the way without once reminding them of any of the sin they committed along the way. And what that tells us is that God remembers our acts of obedience, but He forgets our sin. What a great and awesome God we serve. Because all along the way, that He mentions the place where they were worshiping idols, but He doesn't mention that they worship idols. He mentions the place where they fell into sexual sin, but He doesn't. Mention the sin. He mentions the place where they were faithless, Akadosh Barnea, but he does not mention the sin. And I believe, again, that it's a picture of the fact that when God sees you and me, he sees us forgiven, and the Bible says that if we even give out a cup of cold water in his name, he will never forget it. So he remembers every small thing we do for him, and he forgives us for every sin we commit against him if we come with the heart of repentance. What a great and awesome God we serve. Amen? I would think there'd be a big scale in heaven. Okay, you sin, now you got to, you know, and that's how a lot of people think it ought to be, right? Well, I do five good deeds and I got five sins, it kind of balances out. That's not how it works. He forgives all your sin and he remembers every good thing you've ever done in his name and for his glory. So that brings us to chapter 34. And when we come there, or actually the last part of 33, we've just seen him talking to them and reminding them and of going over all the places where they had come in obedience. 
And now we're going to finish up looking at Numbers 33, beginning in verse 50. And we're going to talk about the fact that though they'd been delivered from bondage and they had His love, His grace, His mercy and provision, now it was time for them to start looking forward to what God had for them next. Maybe that's you here tonight. Maybe you've already, you know you've been born again, you know you're a new creation in Christ, and maybe you've kind of been on cruise control with God, and it's time for you to start looking forward to what God has for you. You know, one of the things I'm going to be sharing at the pastor's conference at Mount Hermon, and what God has put on my heart to share with the Calvary Chapel pastors is, that we do not want to see this movement become a memorial. And the way that that happens is we start talking about the good old days all the time, instead of talking about what God has yet to do. Amen? And what happens is every you know, denomination out there that's deader than a doornail started off doing great things for God. Mighty moves of God. And now they're dead. Why? Because that movement became a memorial because they stopped being desperate for God, seeking His face and being hungry for Him. And you know, God desires that all of us would remain desperate for Him until we draw our last breath. If you're still breathing, God's not through with you. Amen? And I think most of you are breathing. So the good news is that He's got things he wants to do with every one of us and that's really what tonight's message is about that they needed to be looking forward they needed to be looking ahead okay great you know what he's forgiven us for what's behind us we're going to enter into the land of promise and as we enter in he has things he wants to do in and through us again all that god has done for us is awesome it's a blessing but now god desires to work in our lives so i titled the message tonight making life count Making our lives count for the kingdom of God. And we're going to see the command to conquer the inhabitants and to possess the land of Canaan. And we're going to see how God desires that they remove everything from the land. We're going to see the boundaries of the land of promise that they might go into the land and know that God has promised all of it to them. And then lastly, we're going to see the dividing up of the land of promise. So let's begin in verse 50, looking at the command to to conquer the promised land, to remove the idols and the potential stumbling blocks that would be in front of them as they left the wilderness. They've been wandering for 40 years. They've seen all their parents are dead. The entire generation before them has died. God is a gracious God. He's still going to use them. Let's begin in verse 50 of Numbers 33. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you have crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan... Now this is not to be glanced over because these would have been incredible words of encouragement to them. Because they watched how they were at the doorstep of Canaan 40 years earlier, and most of them were probably old enough to remember that they were right there at that doorstep, and they disobeyed God, and then they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness, and that entire generation passed away. And now they're right back in the same spot, and the Lord says to them, when you enter in, not if, when. And you know what I can tell you? When you get to heaven. Amen? Not if you get to heaven, when you get to heaven. If you've been born again and you're a new creation in Christ, you truly are heaven bound. And your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and He's preparing a place for you. And you know what? We can stand on that as a promise. It's not a hope so, it's a no so. Not because of our good works, but because of His great work and His faithfulness and His, and his truth to His word always. He's told us, He's promised us. And so when He says to them, when you enter in, these no doubt would have been great encouragement to this three million plus people, more, more than likely, who've been wandering through the wilderness, that now they're going to enter in to the land of promise that God had designed for them to inhabit. I love it. And so we too have that promise living inside of us. They, God had given them His Word, and He's given us His Word. God gave them His promise, and He's given us His promise, and the promise that we have is the Holy Spirit living inside of us. The Holy Spirit is a down payment on heaven. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And He has a promise also to conform us into His image. He's going to make us more and more like Him. It says, He who has begun a good work and you will be faithful to complete it. And we have that ultimate promise of heaven to come. Verse 52. Then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Destroy all their engraved stones, destroy all the molded images, and demolish all their high places. So... They're entering in to the land of promise, and they're entering in to God's highest, but the work isn't done. You know, too often we think, you know, I'm going to arrive in my relationship with God, and then I'll just be done. I actually had a guy tell me that. He was a superintendent at my daughter's Christian school, and he tried to tell me, well, I've been a Christian for 55 years, so I'm done. I'm like, you got a verse for that? Because I don't think so. 
you, you're not done. Are you breathing? You're not done. Amen? And the reality is that we can fall into that trap of saying, okay, I've, I've crossed over the last thing that was that last thing I needed to do, and now I'm just going to be still and wait for, you know, chant till the Lord comes back. And that's not what God wants for us to do. God is, wants to continue to use us. And they're crossing over the Jordan. He says, okay, when you cross over, guess what the first thing on your agenda is going to be? You're going to go right into a battle. And when you get there, I want you to wipe out the inhabitants and I want you to tear down all of their high places and all of their engravings and all their idols. Now, it's pretty obvious why that would be necessary. Again, they've been forgiven looking backward, but now they're being called to walk in obedience. He's saying, going forward, I want you to obey. The Lord does forget our sin when we repent, but then He tells us, go and sin no more. Amen? Too often we get this cheap grace thing. Well, I've been forgiven, so I can just, hey, we'll live however, I, you know, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Go for it. But remember the woman caught in adultery. She came before the Lord. She was broken. She was weeping. She was ready to be stoned to death, and she knew she deserved it. And the Lord forgave her, but then he said to her what? Go and sin no more. And what he's saying with these guys, you're forgiven. I'm looking back in those places you came from. I've forgiven you, but you know what? Going forward... You need to, to walk with me and seek me with your whole heart and go and sin no more. It's not, hey, I walked over the promise. I'm into the land of promise. Now I can just do whatever I want. No. The desire of our heart ought to be to do God's perfect will because He knows what's best for us and He loves us. And again, we see here that they're going forward, called to obedience. And He tells them, what I want you to do first is to remove the temptation. You know what? Can I encourage you with something? I do a lot of counseling with people from the word and one of the things that that we all struggle with every one of us in this room we could probably stand up and say yeah that's me and i'll tell you it's me there's certain things in our life we just don't want to get rid of and what happens is he's telling them look when you go in there you guys are prone to idol worship moses goes up on the mountain for 40 days what are you guys doing making a golden calf right you're wandering around the wilderness. Oh, Egypt was great. You know, they, oh, the leeks and the onions and, you know, the golden calves and all the engraved images. Oh, it was one. And the beatings, they forgot all about that. It's amazing. But he's t- they say, oh, man, you know, Egypt, Egypt, Egypt. And they're making golden calves and they fell into immorality with the Moabite women and started worshiping Baal when they were sitting at the outskirts of the promised land. So he says, look, I know you guys. When you get in there, first thing you got to do is wipe out all the idols. Because if you don't, within weeks, you guys will be worshiping Baal, right? And the reality is, for you and I, that sometimes we think, well, I'm strong enough, I can leave the idols there. It's not, you know, I've been walking with the Lord long enough, I can just leave the idols, I won't look at them. You know, it's kind of nostalgic to have that stuff, so I'm going to leave it there. Well, God will work on your own heart what the idols are in your house. But God desires that we not make a peace treaty with our flesh. God doesn't want us to try to please the things of the world and hold on to the things of the world. He says, you know what? Remove that stuff. Get it out of your house. If you've got movies at your house that you know are inappropriate, throw them out. If you've got music at your house that draws you away from God, get rid of it. If you've got access on your internet that leads you to places that you don't belong, then either get a blocker on your internet or throw your computer out into the street. Amen? The Bible says, if you're right, I offend you what? Pluck it out. That's pretty serious. Amen? Pluck out your eye. God's serious about sin. And what he's telling them, look, when you go into the promised land, this is the land I have for you. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, but there's going to be temptation there. And as we're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, God wants to do great and awesome things in our lives, but there's going to be temptation there. And you know when you make the decision to rid yourself of the idols? Not when you're being tempted, but when you're not. Amen? You need to sit back and say, you know what, talk to your husband, talk to your wife, talk to your roommates, whatever, and say, you know what, not what, at the moment I'm being tempted and I'm struggling, but right now when I'm, I'm walking with the Lord, you know, we need to get that stuff out of the house. And what he's telling them is, go in, and the first thing I want you to do is I want you to rid this place of all the pagan shrines. And you know what, this took work. Because these high places, they were mountains that were set up so that the shrines could be up really high, so people could see them from far away. And they were the most prominent thing, and and just like the Tower of Babel, you know, people like to put their places of worship to these false gods as high as they could in the sky, so somehow they would be closer to God. 
Can I tell you something? You can't build a tower high enough to reach God. That's why He came down to us. Amen? We didn't climb up to Him through our good works. He came down to us through His great and awesome work. And so for them to obey this meant they were going to have to get out some shovels or something. I don't know what they had back then. But they had to get something out and be tearing these hills all the way down and taking these engraved images and taking these idols and smashing them or melting them down. This took work. And the same is true for us sometimes. Going home and cleansing our house isn't always the easiest thing. Sometimes we have to walk in that, all right, that's got to go. That's got to go. Now, I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about holiness. Amen? If there's something you know is going to get your eyes off the Lord, why would you want to have it around? But yet we all struggle in varying degrees with that kind of stuff. And we need to cleanse our house. He tells them, go in and get rid of it. And so too for you and I, as we enter into that deeper spirit-filled life, when our, our first actions should be remove the things that might cause us to stumble. These idols were ungodly things. And they can be for us too. Sexual immorality, drugs, pride, alcohol, ungodly entertainment. But it can also be seemingly good things done in excess. Your career can be an idol. If your career is more important to you than your relationship with God. Your pursuit of wealth. A relationship you're involved in. A hobby that you might have. A leisure activity that you're involved in. All of those things can be idols if you make them more important than God. It's okay to have money as long as you realize that it's all His. Amen? When it starts being yours, it's an idol. When your house starts being yours, it's an idol. When it's God's house and it belongs to the Lord and you're a steward of it, then it's His. And that, we need to get to the place where we say, Lord, it's all yours. And Lord, remove the idols so I'm not tempted and my eyes are not drawn away. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. With obedience comes blessing, and I'm not talking about money. That's one of the most overblown things I've ever heard, right? Name it and claim it, grab it and blab it, you know, all that stuff. No. That's not riches. You want to know what riches is? Riches is intimacy with the creator of the universe. Riches is being filled with the spirit of the living God and being able to touch others with his truth and with his love, with his grace and with his mercy. That's riches. Amen? And as we are obedient, then God blesses us and uses us in greater ways. And again, we don't obey so God will love us. He already loves you. But because He loves you, we ought to respond in obedience to His Word because we trust Him, because He's a great and an awesome God. He says to them, what did He tell them to do? Drive out all the inhabitants of the land. He wanted them to remove the very giants that the, in the land that the previous generation, their own parents, had fled from. In Exodus 23, God told Israel that His angel would go before them and cut off the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites from all the land. So He told them to go do it. Now, why did He tell them to wipe out the Canaanites? Sometimes people struggle with that. It just doesn't seem fair that God tells them to kill people. Anybody ever struggled with that before? God tells someone to kill people? That doesn't seem right to me, okay? And I, I understand that, but understand why he did it. In Exodus 23, it says, They shall not dwell in the land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. The Canaanites and those that inhabited the land were the mo some of the most godly, godless people who ever lived on the planet. They were involved in demonic worship. They were pagans. They were slaughtering their children and sacrificing them to false gods. God had given them opportunities after opportunities to repent and come to Him. They continued on in their sin and eventually judgment comes. The same is true for all of us. The Lord loves us. He reaches out to us. He's a gracious God. But at some point, judgment will follow those who reject Him. Nobody goes to hell except they ask to go there. They're saying, I don't want the cross. I don't Get it off of me, man. Don't be talking to me about that. Ever had that reaction? Don't be talking to me. Hey, you know what? That's good for you. If it's good for you, that's great. But leave me out of it. And he starts sharing out. Man, he, and it just blows my mind that people get all upset when you say stuff like, you know God loves you. Dude, don't talk to me about that. I just told you God loves you. Oh, man, I don't want to hear it, right? It's amazing to me. But again, it's because... The message of the cross is foolishness so those who are dying under sin, but those who are being saved is the power of God. The cross is a place of offense. Jesus Christ is a rock of offense. And so we see here that he tells them, look, you need to go in and wipe them out. Why? Because if you don't, they will be a snare to you. 
If you do not go in and and remove them, then you're going to fall into sin. So what is he telling them to do? He says, first of all, get rid of the the images, but also, what else do they need to do? They need to drive out all the inhabitants. Now, the idols, we understand maybe. So who would the inhabitants be that you and I need to drive out of our lives? We need to drive the idols out. Maybe you can say, okay, I know some idols. I know some things I've struggled with, and I understand that. I need to get them out. So what would the inhabitants be that we need to drive out of our lives? It's the world. And it is, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I want to make this clear. I'm not talking about us being self-righteous and perfect, and we're too good for the world. That's not what I'm talking about. But what the Bible tells us very clearly is bad company corrupts good morals. He told them, you go in and start hanging out with the Canaanites, you're going to be like the Canaanites. You want to know what kind of person you are? Look at the people you hang out with. Because you become like those that you spend time with. You hang around a bunch of people on fire for God, you're going to start pursuing the things of God. They're going to hold you accountable, they're going to love you, they're going to encourage you, they're going to share the word with you. You start hanging out with the world, you're going to become like the world. Can a man hold fire into his bosom and not be burnt? And too often we want to make excuses there too. I cannot tell you how many times in council people say to me, well, but we've been friends for 27 years. Pastor Dave, you just don't understand. No, you just spent a half an hour telling me that every time you hang out with this guy, you go get drunk. Well, yeah, that's true. Then why are you hanging out with him? If you come hang out at my house, I promise you, you won't be getting any alcohol, okay? Well, I'm struggling, man. I, you know, my walk with the Lord's a disaster. I can't figure out why it's such a train wreck, but all my friends are unsaved, and I, I'm hanging out with the world all the time, and I can't figure out why I'm struggling. When was the last time you were church? Oh, I don't have time for church right now. So you got time to hit the bar three times a week, and you got time to go water skiing with your buddies, and you got time to chase, you know, have two jobs and chase the bucks, but you don't have time for the Lord, and you wonder why you're struggling. He says, get the inhabitants out of there. You know what? You can't hang out with the Canaanites and not become a Canaanite. So you need to hang out with believers. Again, do we have a burden for the lost? Yes. Are we self-righteous and look down on them? No. Should we reach out to every person in Santa Cruz that doesn't know God? Without question. But do you seek fellowship from them? No. You minister to them, you minister to the world, but you have no fellowship with it. And and the Lord's making it very clear to them. Now, we're going to see the sad results as we move on. And I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. Guess what? They don't do it. They don't do it. They don't get them all out. And guess what? It doesn't work out too good. And you know what? I've yet to have anybody say to me, yeah, you know, I've been dating some believer for a while, and it's worked out pretty well. I've never had any, once. 20 years of doing counseling, no one's ever said to me, yeah, I was hanging out with this unsaved girl for about three years, and worked out great. Kept my relationship with God right where it needs to be. We never fell into any kind of sin. It was wonderful. That doesn't happen. Because bad company corrupts good morals, and we will become like those we hang out with, and that's why it's so key that we be in fellowship. Destroy the idols, demolish their high places, and rid that place completely. Get every one of them out of there. Take them all out. And again, that may seem harsh, but you know what? One of the great things about heaven is there's going to be no sin there. Amen? And no sinners. Praise God. Amen? And that's only because of His grace, not because of us. Well, Pastor Dave, I'm a sinner. Well, that's why you need a Savior. Amen? And if we've been born again, we're going to enter into His presence and spend eternity with Him. So He tells Him, obey my commands. Not only promises future blessing, but protects us from immediate downfall. When we obey God, it means God's going to use us in a greater way going forward, but it also means that God's going to keep us from falling in the immediate, right here and now. You start being like the world, you're going to fall into sin. A lot of Man, it just breaks my heart. I'm sharing open with you guys. It breaks my heart to see so many people that I know that are like this in their relationship with God. It's this roller coaster ride. It just, what day of the week is it? I'm either, man, I just, ah, yeah, or the next day, oh, yeah, I'm on fire. Oh, yeah, and I'm like, whoa. Be hot or cold if you're lukewarm or spirit. I'm not, they're, just, they're taking that to, I'm hot, cold, hot, cold, right, every day. And the Lord desires that we be so close with Him that our walk with Him is steady and it's steadfast. That's God's heart for us, amen? The world's watching us when difficulty comes, and if we're like a roller coaster, they're not going to want to know the God that we have. But the great thing is that when we trust in the Lord, we have our eyes on eternity, and we're obedient to Him. It not only blesses us in the future, but helps keep us from falling into sin here and now. 
Again, what does it take? It takes just like an effort to tear down the idols. It takes effort on our part to prayerfully go before the Lord about relationships that we have that are ungodly and say, Lord, show me what to do. Can I tell you a way to make sure that all your friends are Christians? It's real simple. It's not hard. You tell youth group kids this all the time. Just witness to all your unsaved friends. Because one of two things will happen. They'll get saved or they will not want to talk to you anymore. Amen? You start sharing the love of God with people and they're going to go either, really? Oh, praise it. And you're going to share with them and they're going to come to know Christ or after a while they're going to go, dude, just leave me alone. Just go away. Right? The Lord will work it out. Just love them, minister truth to them. Verse 53. You shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell in it, for I have given it to you, the land to possess. God's intent was not only to bring judgment upon the corrupt culture of Canaan, but also to give the land for Israel to possess. The promised land would be the stage in which God would display His power, pour out His blessing, and one day, guess who would be born in the promised land? Who? Jesus. And so he was moving the Canaanites out, not only to bless Israel here and now, but to bless all of mankind in the future. And he says, that's not going to happen. We need to move them out, and I'm going to bring you in, and I'm going to bless you. And as I bless you, I'm going to bless future generations. Verse 54. And you shall divide the land by lot as an inheritance among your families. To the larger you shall give a larger inheritance. To the smaller you shall give a smaller inheritance. There everyone's inheritance shall be whatever falls to him by lot. You shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers. Now one of the things I love about this is it's an inheritance, not a paycheck. They didn't do anything to earn it. They're going to go in and fight a battle, and they're going to fight the Canaanites, and they're going to have to be victorious before they get the land, but guess what? God's letting them know the battle belongs to me. Amen? And even though we're blessed, who's the one that gave us every blessing that we have? He did. Who should get all the glory? He should. I don't care. You know, you might say, well, I witnessed to that guy 78 times before he got saved. I was on my knee. I was called camel knees because my knees were so tore up praying for that guy. It's got to have something to do with me. No, it has nothing to do with you. Amen? It was done in spite of us. Now, we are called by God to go out and share our faith, and it's a blessing to be the tool that the Holy Spirit works through, but you can't convince anybody to be saved. Only the Holy Spirit can draw them. And so he's saying it's an inheritance, and it's going to be a gift that comes to you, not because of any work you've done, but because I love you guys, and you're my family, you're my kids, and even though you've been disobedient, I forgive you, and I'm going to bring you into the land of promise, and you're going to win the battle because my angels are going to go before you and wipe them all out, and then I'm going to bless you and give you an inheritance in the land. What a great and awesome God we serve. And so we see here that that's his heart and his desire. And there will be no peace in the land if there's temptation and compromise and idolatry and broken fellowship until all those guys are moved out. I dispossess them, I give you the possession. And praise the Lord. Verse 55. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes thorns in your sides, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Now, is that a pretty stern warning or what? He tells them, if you do not rid yourself of these people, then what's going to happen is they are going to be a thorn in your side and an irritation to you from this day forward. You know what? If we compromise and we hold on to the idols in our house and we keep hanging out with ungodly friends, they're going to be a stumbling block, they're going to be an irritation, and they're going to be a thorn in our side. They're going to keep us to continue to falling into sin, falling away from the Lord, and getting our eyes off of what's really important in life. Again, we cannot dwell peaceably with the flesh and the spirit. The Bible says that the spirit and the flesh are at what? They're at war. And the Bible says we battle not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities and evil force of darkness in high places. It's a spiritual battle in our lives, and we battle with, in the sense, not flesh of other men, but our own flesh that must die. If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I've got to die that Christ might live in me. Amen? John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase. And he says to these guys, look, as you go into the land, if you do not drive them out, you cannot make a peace treaty with the world. You cannot make a peace treaty with your flesh. 
You can't say, well, yeah, I'm going to serve God, but I'm just going to be right in there with the world. It won't be a problem for me. And it says there, the word that they use is irritants. The word there is goads. Remember when Paul got saved and the Lord said to him, why do you kick against the goads? It's a sharp instrument on the end of a stick that's made out of metal with a point on it. And if you kick against that, you're going to lose, right? And the reality is, can you imagine that thing being stuck in your eye? Because he says here, if you do not rid yourself of them, you're going to be sticking this thing in your eye over and over and over. It's only going to bring you harm. And we don't want to let go of the world. And he's telling them, you know what? You've got to rid the inhabitants. Just obey me and you'll be blessed. When you're obedient, God is blessed, you'll get glorified. Don't compromise. Don't attempt to negotiate with the flesh. It will bring you pain, harm, and eventually destruction. It's interesting, the other thing besides irritants is what? Thorns. We know that thorns are a type of sin. Remember we talked about that, that thorns and thistles came into existence in Genesis after Adam and Eve sinned. And we know that that's exactly why Jesus had a crown of thorns upon his head. Again, a picture of sin being placed upon him for us. And it's these thorns that are in the side. Again, a type of sin, a constant pain, a constant reminder of their being outside of God's will. And again, there'll be no peace in the land. Temptation, compromise, idolatry, broken fellowship will come if you don't drive them out. You know what? And you're not a special case. hear that all the time too. Well, my, I got a kind of unique situation. Oh, the creator of the universe forgot about you, right? Somehow you're on a special... Oh, no, 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 no. God knows exactly what you're going through, and nobody has a loophole to this book right here. Amen? And this applies to all of us. And I'm so thankful that I can read it and know that he knows all about me, and he wrote it with you and me in mind. Verse 56. Moreover, it shall be that I will do to them as I, th- or I will do to you as I thought to do to them. Ooh. So if you disobey and you stay outside of my will and you just hang out with the world anyway and you leave the Canaanites here and you don't tear those idols down, you know the stuff I meant for them? It's coming to you. That's righteous judgment. He's a holy, righteous, and loving God. But if we continue to walk in the flesh, then we will reap the consequences of it. The world, the flesh, sin, and compromise brings forth judgment. Brokenness, repentance, and being in Christ produces salvation. God is faithful to His promise, but sadly, guess what? Israel's not going to be obedient to God's Word. Israel did not fully drive the Canaanites out. The corruption of the Canaanites continued to possess a portion of the land, and eventually Israel was driven into exile. Why? Because they compromised and didn't do exactly what God said. They thought, well, I can do part of what God says. I like commandments 1, 3, 5, 7, and 9. And the other ones I don't feel too good about, right? And some people are like that. You know, I like the promises in the Bible. I'm just not real good about the commands. Promises I take, commands I don't take, right? It's all or nothing, amen? Either accept the whole word or you don't accept any of it. And sadly, what happened was Israel did not drive them out. And because of it, they were sent into Babylonian captivity. And they were there for another 400 years. Amazing how that works. Now, I want to say this too. There's another picture of this very thing with Saul, first king of Israel. And God told him to go wipe out all the Amalekites. And he went out to fight the Amalekites in 1 Samuel. And what did he do? God said, wipe them all out. And he brought back Agag, the king, and a bunch of sheep. And then Samuel comes walking up, you know the story, and he comes walking up to confront him, and he says, Samuel, I did all that the Lord commanded in the background. Right? God has a sense of humor. And he says, what's these sheep I'm hearing? Right? Oh, um, the people took them to sacrifice to your God. I ripped off the IRS so I could tithe more. Right? I mean, he compromised his faith, and he brought back Agag. He held on to the one worst sin he had, right? The king of the flesh. Amalekite's a type of the flesh. Yeah, I got rid of everything else. It's just this one sin of mine that's really fun. And I just want to hold on to this one. And we know what happens. Samuel sees Agag, and he takes out a sword. And what does he do to Agag? He cuts him up into small pieces. And Samuel, at the time, may have been as old as 90 It says that when Agag saw him coming, he went, oh, it's an old guy. And out he came, you know, that dramatic, and sliced him up. Now, the sword is a picture of what? God's Word. And how do we put the flesh to death? 
God's Word. And you know what's something interesting? If we don't wipe out the flesh, the flesh will wipe us out. Because who reported the death of Saul to David? Uh, what? An Amalekite. He was told to wipe out all the Amalekites. He didn't. And the Amalekite is the one that came and told David that Saul had died. If we do not put the flesh to death, it will destroy us. If we don't put away those things that are so easily entangle us, we, we're going to be stumbling in our walk with God and ineffective for His kingdom. It's of no use for us in the church to be successful in the eyes of the world while allowing corrupt practices and attitudes of the world to take root in the body. You know what? You'll notice that he doesn't say, go into Canaan and assimilate. Does he say that? <laughs> go in there and be just like them so they'll want to hang out with you and maybe in a year or so you can tell them about the love of God. You know that that's running rampant in the church today. If your friend likes to go shoot pool and drink beers, go with him. If he's into the strip club, go to the strip club. I'm not kidding you. If he's into that, be into that. You know, you be like him. Find a common ground. You know what? People were not attracted to Jesus because he was just like them. Amen? We are to be in the world but not of the world, and we're to be salt and light, and we're not to conform. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen? Go into Canaan and... Didn't say be like them. And same is true for the church today. We're not to try to be like the world so the world will feel comfortable. So, now, should we love people? Yes, reach out to them, absolutely. But we're not to water down the gospel so people will feel comfortable at church on Sunday. Amen? And it's running rampant. And it breaks my heart. It's, just, it's absolutely sad. Again, if that happens, then the church should expect to be driven out of its place of blessing just as much as the Israelites were. You stop preaching the gospel... You might as well, as you've heard me say, throw some horns on the wall and call it the Elks Club. Because it's all over. Amen? You're not a church anymore. You're not drawing people into the kingdom of God. You're having no eternal significance. It's just a big social club with a name. Now, it's interesting that they didn't drive them out. And because they didn't drive them out, we're going to see in coming chapters that they're going to be thrown back into captivity. Do you know what happened with Israel? In 1948, they were reborn as a nation. In 1967, there was a six-day war. During that six-day war, they conquered Jerusalem in six days, hand of God. And they went in, and the Jewish soldiers were weeping. And they were literally at the, at the place that's the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall, and the head of the, the Jewish contingency, Moshe Dayan, allowed the head of the Islamic authority, the Grand Mufti, and said, you know what, you can keep the Temple Mount. We'll take Jerusalem you can have the Temple Mount. How's that working out? He says, drive them out completely. Don't hold on to them, drive them out. And what did he do? He just gave them a little spot. And those of you who were in Israel with us, you know that that is one of the central points of, of strife on the face of this planet. And you go up there, and what's on the top? A mosque. A huge Muslim right on the top of the Temple Mount. And the Lord gave them back to them in 67. They could have just finished the job and said, they said, well, let's just give them a little bit. The same can be true of us in our own lives. Oh, I just want to hold on to this one part of my life. Does God love you enough to know what's best for you? Yeah. Why don't we run to Him in times of trial instead of running from Him? Why don't we trust Him when He tells us that He knows what's best for us? Sin is not bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. Because God knows what's best for us. He forbids us from sinning. Verse 1 through 15. I'm going to read through this fairly quickly. But I want you to see the boundaries of the land of promise. He's sending them in and He wants them to know, okay, here's the boundaries, guys. And this land belongs to you. Now you go in. I'm going in before. You've got nothing to fear. And I'm going to wipe out every enemy that gets in your way. You just head on through there. And he begins to tell them where the land is. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, verse 1, saying, Command the children of Israel and say to them, When you've come into the land of Canaan, this is the land that shall fall to you as an inheritance, the land of Canaan, to its boundaries. So though Israel, again, would take possession through conquest, notice again he uses the word inheritance. This is a gift. You didn't earn it. I'm giving it to you. Verse 3. Your southern border will be the wilderness of Zin, which could also be pronounced Sin, along the border of Edom, then your southern border shall extend eastward to the end of the Salt Sea, and that's the Dead Sea. Again, if you were in Israel with us, you go on that thing for five minutes, and you know why it's the Salt Sea. It burns you like no other. It's amazing. You can't even sink. You lay on top. You can lay on your back in 
five or six feet of water, and you won't sink more than this much because there's so much salt in it. And he tells them, okay, that is your southern border. And I find it interesting that the names mean sin, and then Edom is the descendants of Esau, and then the salt sea is the dead sea. So this is an area of death, an area where Edom was the brother of whom? Who knows? Who's Edom? Esau. Who's Esau's twin brother? Jacob, okay? Jacob is the father of Israel. Esau is the father of the Edomites. And to their south of their border, just outside of their camp, is the Edomites. And they were, gonna, they were an enemy of Israel. So down is the Dead Sea, and then right there next to them was where the Edomites live, and also the wilderness of sin. Verse 4. Your border shall turn from the southern side to the ascent of Akrabim, continue to Zin, and beyond the south of Kadesh Barnea. Then you shall go to Hazar Adar and continue to Asmon. Now Kadesh Barnea is significant because that is the place, its name means holiness, and that is the place where they sent the spies into the land the first time. And the, and the second time where they would enter in. And so that Kadesh Barnea means holiness. Hazar Adar means imprisoned generation. I find that interesting. An entire generation right there near where that happened, where they walked away, where they didn't enter into the land of promise. There's, this, there's a little city or spot there called Hazar Adar, which means a imprisoned generation. A generation that wandered in the wilderness and lost its life. And Asmon means our strength. We are delivered from our sin, from being dead, those first three cities, through the Lord our God, our strength. The word means holiness, as holiness has set us free. Verse six through nine, verse five through nine, excuse me. The border shall turn from Azhaman to the brook of Egypt. Some believe that is the Nile. Others believe it might be something else. It shall end at the sea. As for the western border, you shall have the great sea. That's the Mediterranean. For a border, this shall be your western border. And this shall be the northern border from the great sea. You shall mark your borderline to Mount Or. Who died on Mount Or? Who remembers? Aaron. Just outside the land of promise. What kept him out of the land of promise? He got right to the land of promise and didn't get to enter in. Why? He had fallen into idol worship. He had compromised and was more worried about pleasing men than pleasing God. Remember, his brother's up on the mountain and he comes down and what's he doing? This calf popped out. That's what he says, right? It says he hammered it himself. And then when his brother shows up, oh, no, it just popped out of there. And you know what? Isn't that amazing how that happens? You've probably been on both sides of that, right? You're sinning and a Christian shows up. You know, just standing here, right? Or you come walking up and you see someone who's a Christian. I'll never forget one time I was at a stoplight in San Jose. And I'm one of the assistant pastors at Calvary San Jose. A couple thousand people. And this guy is just going off on his wife and kids. Just blasting them. And I'm like, man, that guy, wait a minute, I know that guy. And then he turns over and sees me. Oh, pomegranate red. I mean, you know what I mean? What happens? You know, you, oh, I'm so busted. Well, that's Aaron. Moses comes down, he's making a calf, and sadly, because he did not heed God's counsel, he missed out on entering into God's highest because of compromise. Same is true for us. We compromise our walk, we're going to miss out on God's highest calling for us. The word Mount Or means one who conceives. The northern border, Zedad, is, means his side. Zephon means sweet odor. And Hazan Inan means village of fountains. And I believe that's a picture of the sacrifice. So remember, where was Jesus pierced? In his side. The Bible says that sacrifice is the sweetest smelling aroma in the presence of God. Water poured out of his side, and we know that the Holy Spirit is a pictured by fountains. So the border of Zephon, and it shall be Hazar Anon, verse 9, this shall be your northern border. You shall mark out on your eastern side Hazir Anon and Shepham. The border shall go down from Shepham to Riblah to the east side of Ain, and the border shall go down and reach the eastern side of the Sea of Chenareth. Now, it's interesting that Riblah means fruitful, and Ain means spring of water, and guess where Chenareth is? Chenareth is the Sea of Galilee. And if you don't know it, that's where Jesus spent three-fourths of his ministry was at the sea, around the Sea of Galilee. And it's interesting that that place would be called fruitful. It's interesting that place would be a place where fresh water pours out because that's where our Savior spent most of his, his ministry life and that's where he, met, where he healed people. It was right, a lot of it happened right there in Capernaum. The border shall go down along the Jordan and it shall end at the Salt Sea. This shall be your land with its surrounding boundaries. Now, I want to say this. This inheritance only came for nine and a half tribes, and sadly, they never even got close to inhabiting all the land that God gave them. God gives them this land. 
And Bill and I spent hours today trying to find a map that would actually show the area that was promised to them. And we finally found a few that were close, but basically it was 300,000 square miles. And they never inhabited like even half of it. And you know what? I thought, Lord, is that a picture of my life? The Lord, you have so much more for me, but yet I'm so involved in the world that I'm missing out on all you have for me. And I'm not, again, I'm not talking about stuff. I'm talking about how he might want to use me in his kingdom. And sadly, because they got turned away by the things of the world, they missed out on all that God had for them. They missed out on, on the far corners of the things that God desired to do with them. Verse 13, Then Moses commanded the children of Israel, saying, This is the land which you shall inherit by lot, which the Lord has commanded to give to nine tribes and to a half tribe. Now, why only nine and a half tribes are getting this land? What happened? Two and a half tribes said, We don't have to cross over the Jordan. It's fine right out here. We're comfortable outside of God's highest. Hey, you know, this land's good enough. We don't need to press on. And sadly, much of the church today is like that. Hey, I'm happy. I don't have to be one of those religious fanatics totally sold out for God. As long as I'm going to heaven, it's all good. Can I tell you something? There's no greater joy in the world than being in the center of God's will. Amen? There's nothing better. Nothing. Nothing compares to the love that God has for us. Nothing compares. There's nothing this world has to offer that, that comes within 10 million miles of what God wants to give us. Amen? And so sadly, we just get so caught up that we miss out on God's highest pursuing stuff that is passing away. The children of Israel missed out on God's highest. And again, it makes me think of my own family. Lord, if... Are we doing all you want have for us? I think of my wife and my kids. Lord, is there more you have for us? I think of this church. God, is there more you want to do with Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz? If there is, show us. If we've only entered into half of what you have, show us the rest of us and help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to respond in obedience to what it is. Amen? Pray with me about that. Let's pray. Lord, show us what you have for us. So how do we miss out? How do we miss out like Manasseh and Gad? How do we end up on the outside, camped outside, when all the promises are given out and all the blessings are being given out and God's highest is happening right in front of them and they missed it? Why did they miss it? By becoming comfortable outside of God's highest. By caring more about the cattle than they did about the kingdom. By trying to make peace treaty with the flesh. By not driving out the inhabitants, not destroying the false idols, not trusting in God's promise. May we not grow weary and comfortable with less than God's highest. Are you doing all God has for you? Verse 14, For the tribe of the children of Reuben, according to the house of their fathers, and the tribe of the children of Gad, according to the house of their fathers, have received their inheritance, and the half-tribe of Manasseh has received its inheritance. The true tribes and the half-tribe have received their inheritance on the side of the Jordan, across from the Jericho, eastward towards sunrise. Those are some of the saddest words in the Bible. They missed out on God's highest because they were just comfortable staying away from what He had for them. Are you doing all that God has for you, or are you just cruising through life, happy to be outside of His perfect will? Last few verses. And watch now as He appoints the land. He's going to divide the land of promise. So the leaders, it says there, And the Lord spoke to Moses, These are the names of the men who shall divide the land among you as an inheritance. Eleazar the priest, and Joshua the son of Nun. And I love this. You've heard me say it before. we got some new people here tonight. I want you to hear it again because I love it. Moses could not... Bring them into the land of promise because Moses is a type of what? The law. Moses wrote the first five books and you can't get in by the law because you can't keep it. The law is a taskmaster that leads us to the cross. That's what the Bible says. The law reveals our sin, but it cannot save us. So who entered them in? Joshua and Eliezer. Joshua's name is the same name as who? Jesus. And his name means Jehovah is salvation. So the law could not bring them into the land of promise, but Joshua, or Jesus, could. Amen? Now, Eliezer's name means helper. And Eliezer, who is the helper? The Lord says, I will send you another helper comparable to me. Who's the helper? Holy Spirit. So who is it that draws us into the land of promise, draws us into salvation? It's Jesus who paid the price, and it's the Holy Spirit who draws us into a place of repentance that we might enter in. So Moses couldn't bring him into the land, but Joshua and Eliezer did. Don't you love the Bible? It just rocks. It truly does. 
I love the Word because you look at every single thing and it's just Jesus on every page. The Old Testament is so incredible. I'll send you another helper. Verse 19. 18. And you shall take one leader of every tribe to divide the land for its inheritance. And these are the names of the men from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. Who was Caleb? He was one of the two what? He was one of the two spies. He was one of the faithful spies that came back and God said, you're going to use him. Now I want you to notice something else here. Do we see them voting on who the leaders ought to be? Got any campaigns going here? Smear campaigns? Caleb, you know? What do we see? God says, these are the guys. They're anointed by God, not voted on by men. This is yet another reason why the Calvary Chapel model that we use, we don't vote for anything. Why? Because we're sinners and we'll vote for wrong stuff. Amen? Well, you know, we can committee ourselves right into the ground. Got a committee of committees over the committee. We've got to vote on the color of the carpet. And, yeah, and the church will split because I want green and you want blue. And it's ridiculous. You know what we're going to do? We're just going to let Jesus be the head of the church and we're going to follow him in his word. Amen? And we're going to obey him with our whole heart and that's the direction we're going to head. And certainly as your pastor, I'm totally accountable. I'm answer, I answer to God. We have assistant pastors or elders. Who I'm, and I'm accountable to every one of you guys. But we don't vote on stuff. We listen to the Lord and we obey. And we see here, the Lord says, okay, these are the leaders. Here they are. Take notes. Caleb. And notice, he picks godly guys. He picks Caleb from the tribe of Judah, from the tribe of Simeon, Shemuel. That's the same name as Samuel. And his name means heard of God. From the tribe of Benjamin, Eladad. Eladad means the God of love. A leader from the tribe of the children of Dan, Bukai. Bukai means void. I don't know what that means exactly, but that's what it means. All right? Maybe he's void. I don't know. Verse 23 shows that God can use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Verse 23. From the sons of Joseph, from the tribe of Manasseh, Hanel. Hanel means favor of God. I love these guys' names. Would you lo- I'd love to go out at dinner time and say, favor of God, get in the house. Right? Wouldn't it be great? You know? Jehovah's salvation. It's time for dinner. Right? These are good names. That's what they meant when they called them by name, favor of God. Kamel in verse 24, Kamul means raised of God. In verse 25, the son of Zebulun, El- Elzaphan, means God of treasure. In verse 26, it says the children of Issachar, and these are each of the tribes, making sure they have somebody to represent them. Paltiel, his name means deliverance of God. From the tribe of Naphtali, in verse, or the tribe of Asher, in verse 27, Ahihud means brother of renown. And then lastly, in verse 28 of the tribes, the leader of Naphtali is Pedahel, and his name means God has ransomed or paid the price. These are great names. These are godly men. God chose them. They didn't vote. They'd have messed it up if they had. And God said, these are the guys that I've called. And that's what we look for in leadership. People called by God, not voted on by men. These are the ones the Lord commanded to divide the inheritance among the children of Israel in the land of Canaan. Now, can you imagine, I want to close this. Can you imagine if you came down and you're sitting there and they walked in and said, we got a word from the Lord. And then they called out your name. God said, Dale Kassler, you're doing this. And you'd be like, whoa. Okay. Now, you think you'd say no to that program? Uh, kind of busy. Got stuff. Right? I mean, if God calls you, don't you respond? And you know the scary part is? That there are times when God calls us and we don't respond. Amen? We say, well, I'm too busy. God, you say, man, if God called me by name, that would just be radical. Can I tell you right now that God has called you by name? He first called you into salvation and now He's called you into ministry. And He may have called you to sweep the floors or to set up chairs or to go on the mission field or to pray for your coworkers by name or to minister to the children. And imagine what it will be like if we'd been called by God and we've missed it because we're too busy chasing stuff that doesn't matter. Can I encourage you to really seek your heart and say, Lord, what have you called me to do? The call to salvation was not the end. It was the beginning. Amen? He called you into salvation and now he desires to use you. May we not respond with love God, but love to God, but I'm just a little busy right now. Sweeping's not my thing. Got something else? You know what? Respond in obedience to what he's called you to do. If you're obedient where he calls you, then God will use you in greater ways. So, how are we going to respond? Let's make our lives count for eternity. Amen? Think about the last month, two months, three months. What have you done that's had an impact on eternity? Pray about it. Lord, show me. Not, not doing work so God will love me, but 
having fruit because God loves you. Amen? And just responding. God is not looking for ability, but availability. God doesn't care how smart you are, how eloquent you are. He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise we saw in 1 Corinthians. Amen? He's not looking for the most eloquent. He's just looking for someone to say, I'll do it. I'll do it. And you know what? If He calls you, He'll equip you to do it. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, searching for one who can show himself strong on account of. Don't let physical comfort or spiritual complacency keep you from God's highest. Let's make our lives count. Let's reach Santa Cruz County for the Lord. Amen? Santa Cruz, Holy Cross. May God turn this place right side up and may it start in our hearts first. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You, Lord, that Even books written thousands of years ago about people wandering around in the wilderness are perfect pictures of your Son, and they apply to every life in this room. Lord, help us to have lives that count for your kingdom. Help us to respond to the leading of your Holy Spirit. Lord, may we hear you call us by name, and may we respond like Samuel with, Yes, Lord. Whatever you say, Lord, I'm willing. And what a joy it is and what a privilege it is to serve you. So, Lord, we love you, we praise you, Lord, we know we can't do it without you. We're desperate for you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.